0: fast asleep. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. And we want you to know, you should always feel free to contact us with any comments or suggestions. We really appreciate your input. Truman Capote visits fast asleep once more this week. He was a man who was just not afraid to shock his audience. Uh Uh-huh. He does just that with his very first sentence of today's story. Capote began his writing career when he was a very precocious eight-year-old, so I think it was pretty much effortless for him to create a very precocious ten-year-old. That's our protagonist. In today's episode, he easily combines that awkward down-home silliness with some of the most beautiful, poignant drama. His works make our job of presenting to you effortless and delightful. We hope you enjoy this one as much as we do. Well, Let's tuck in, everybody, for Truman Capote's Children on Their Birthdays. Yesterday afternoon, The six o'clock bus ran over Miss Bobbitt. I'm not sure what there is to be said about it. After all, she was only ten years old. Still, I know no one of us in this town will forget her. For one thing... Nothing she ever did was ordinary, not from the first time that we saw her, and, well, that was a a year ago. Miss Bobbitt and her mother, they arrived on that same six o'clock bus, the one that comes through from Mobile. It happened to be my cousin Billy Bob's birthday, and so most of the children in town were here at our house. We were sprawled on the front porch, having Tootie Fruity and Devil Cake when the bus stormed around Dead Man's Curve. Oh, it was the summer that never rained. Rusted dryness coated everything. Uh, Sometimes when a car passed on the road, raised dust would hang in the still air uh, an hour or more. Aunt Elle said if they didn't pave the highway soon, she was going to move down to the seacoast. But (laughs) she'd said that for such a long time. Anyway, we were sitting on the porch, tutti-frutti, melting on our plates, when suddenly, just as we were wishing that something would happen, something did. For out of the red road dust appeared Miss Bobbitt a wiry little girl in a starched, lemon-colored party dress. Where oh, she sassed along with a grown-up mince, one hand on her hip, the other supportin' a spinsterish umbrella. Her mother, luggin' two cardboard valises and a wind-up Victrola, trailed in the background. She was a gaunt, "'shaggy woman with silent eyes and a hungry smile. "'All the children on the porch had grown so still "'that when a cone of wasps started humming, "'the girls did not set up their usual holler. "'Their attention was too fixed "'upon the approach of Miss Bobbitt and her mother, "'who had by now reached the gate. "'Begging your pardon?' called Miss Bobbitt, in a voice that was at once silky and childlike, like a pretty piece of ribbon and immaculately exact, like a movie star or a schoolmarm. But we, might we, speak with the grown-up persons of the house? Well, this, of course, meant Aunt L and at least to some degree, myself, but Billy Bob and all the other boys, no one of whom was over (laughs) thirteen, followed down to the gate after us. From their faces, you would have thought they'd never seen a girl before. Well, certainly not like Miss Bobbitt. As Aunt Elle said, "'Whoever heard tell of a child wearing makeup?' Tangy gave her lips an orange glow. Her hair, rather like a costume wig, was a mass of rosy curls, and her eyes had a knowing, penciled tilt. Even so, she had a skinny dignity. She was a lady. And what is more, she looked you in the eye with man-like directness. I'm... "'Miss Lily-Jane Bobbitt, Miss Bobbitt from Memphis, Tennessee,' she said solemnly. The boys looked down at their toes, and on the porch, mm, Cora McCall, who Billy Bob was courting at the time, led the girls into a fanfare of giggles. Mm, "'Country children,' said Miss Bobbitt, with an understanding smile." and she gave her parasol a saucy whirl. My mother, and this homely woman, allowed an abrupt nod to acknowledge herself. My mother and I have taken rooms here. Would you be so kind as to point out the house? It belongs to a Mrs. Sawyer. Why, sure, said Aunt Elle. That's Mrs. Sawyer's right right there across the street. The only boarding house around here, it is an old tall, dark place. <laughs> With about two dozen lightning rods scattered on the roof. Miss Sawyer's scared to death in a thunderstorm. Colorin' like an apple, Billy Bob said. Please, ma'am, it being such a hot day wouldn't wouldn't you rest a spell and have some Tutti Frutti? And Aunt Elle said, Oh, yes, by all means. But Miss Bobbitt shook her head. Oh, very fattening, Tutti Frutti, but mercy you, kindly. And they started across the road, the mother half dragging her parcels in the dust. Oh, and then, and with an earnest expression, Miss Bobbitt turned back the sunflower yellow of her eyes darkened, and she rolled them slightly sideways as if trying to remember a poem. My mother has a disorder of the tongue, so it is necessary that I speak for her, she announced rapidly and heaved a sigh. (laughs) My mother is a very fine seamstress. She's made dresses for the society of many cities and towns. Including Memphis and Tallahassee. No doubt you have noticed and admired the dress I am wearing. Every stitch of it was hand sewn by my mother. My mother can copy any pattern, and just recently she won a twenty-five dollar prize from the ladies' home journal. My mother can also crochet, knit, and embroider. If you want any kind of sewing done, please come to my mother. Please advise your friends and family. Thank you. And then, with a rustle and a swish, she was gone. Cora McCall and the girls pulled their hair ribbons nervously, suspiciously, and looked very put-out and prune-faced. I'm Miss Babbitt said Cora, twisting her face into an evil imitation, and I'm Princess Elizabeth, that's who I am huh. furthermore, furthermore said Cora, that dress that dress was just as tacky as could be, personally, Cora said, all my clothes come from Atlanta, plus a pair of shoes from New York.' which is not even to mention my silver turquoise ring all the way from Mexico City, Mexico. Aunt Elle said they ought not to behave that way about a fellow child, a stranger in the town. But the girls went on like a huddle of witches, and certain boys, the sillier ones that like to be with the girls, joined in and said things that made Aunt Elle go red and declare she was going to send them all home and tell their daddies to boot. But before she could carry forward with this threat, Miss Bobbitt herself intervened by traipsing across the Sawyer porch, costumed in a new and startling manner. The older boys like Billy Bob and Preacher Star, who had sat quiet while the girls razzed Miss Bobbitt, and who had watched the house into which she disappeared with misty, ambitious faces. Well, they now straightened up and ambled down to the gate. Cora McCall sniffed and poked out her lower lip, But the rest of us went and sat on the steps. Miss Bobbitt paid us. No mind whatever. The Sawyer yard is dark with mulberry trees, and it is planted with grass and sweet shrub. Sometimes, hmm, after a rain, you can smell the sweet shrub all the way into our house. And in the center of this yard... There is a sundial which Mrs. Sawyer installed in 1912 as a memorial to her Boston Bull, Sonny, who died after having lapped up a bucket of paint. Miss Bobbitt pranced into the yard, toting the Victrola, which she put on the sundial. She wound it up, and started a record playing, and it played the Count of Luxembourg. By now, it was almost nightfall, a firefly hour, blue as milk glass, and birds like arrows swooped together and swept into the folds of trees. Before storms, leaves and flowers appear to burn with a private light colour and Miss Bobbit got up in a little white skirt with a like a powder puff, and with strips of gold glitterin' tinsel ribbonin' her hair. Ah oh, she seemed set against the darkening all around. She seemed to contain this illuminated quality. Now she held her arms arched over her head, her hands lily limp, and stood straight up on the tips of her toes. Well, she stood that way for a good long while. And Aunt Elle said, well, that was right smart of her. And then she began to waltz around and around And around and around she went until Aunt Elle said, Why, she was plain dizzy from the sight. She stopped only when it was time to rewind the Victrola. And when the moon came rolling down the ridge and the last supper bell had sounded and all the children had gone home, oh, and the night iris was beginning to bloom. Miss Bobbitt was still there, in the dark, turning like a top. Now, we did not see her again for some time. Oh, Preacher Star (laughs) came every morning to our house and stayed straight through to supper. Preacher is a rail-thin boy with a butchy shock of red hair. He has eleven brothers and sisters. Oh, and even they are afraid of him, for he has a terrible temper and is famous in these parts for his green-eyed meanness. Last Fourth of July, he whipped Ollie Overton so bad that Ollie's family had to send him to the hospital in Pensacola. And there was another time he bit off half a mule's ear chewed it and spit it on the ground before billy bob got his growth preacher played the devil with him too he he used to drop cockle burrs down his collar and rub pepper in his eyes and tear up his homework but now they are the biggest friends in town talk-alike, walk-alike, and occasionally they disappear together for whole days. Lord knows where, too. But during these days, when Miss Bobbitt did not appear, they stayed close to the house. They would stand around in the yard trying to slingshot sparrows off telephone poles, or, oh, sometimes Billy Bob would play his ukulele, and they would sing oh. They would sing so loud. Uncle Billy Bob, who is judge for this county, claimed he could hear them all the way to the courthouse. Send me a letter. <laughs> Send it by mail. Send it in care of the Birmingham jail. (laughs) Miss Bobbitt said, Miss Bobbitt said nothing because she did not hear them. At least she never poked her head out of the door. And then one day, Mrs. Sawyer, coming over to borrow a cup of sugar, rattled on a good deal about the new boarders. You know, she said, squinting her chicken bright eyes, That husband was a crook. Mm Mm-hmm. The child told me herself. Hasn't an ounce of shame. Not a mite. Said her daddy was the dearest daddy and the sweetest singing man in the whole of Tennessee. And, well, I said, Honey, where is he? And just as offhand as you please, she says, Well, He's in the penitentiary, and we don't hear from him no more. Say now, does that make your blood run cold? Mm Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking, her mama, I've been thinking she's some kind of foreigner. Never says a word. And sometimes it looks like she don't understand what nobody says to her. And you know, they eat everything raw, raw eggs, raw turnips, carrots, no meat whatsoever. For reasons of health, the child says, but oh, she's been straight out on the bed running a fever since last Tuesday. Well, that same afternoon, Aunt L went out to water her roses, only to discover them Gone. They were special roses, one she planned to send to the flower show in Mobile, and so naturally <laughs> she got a little hysterical. She rang up the sheriff and said, Listen here, sheriff, you come over here right fast. I mean, somebody's got off with all my Lady Ann's that I've devoted myself to heart and soul been doing it since early spring when the sheriff's car pulled up outside our house all the neighbors along the street came out on their porches and mrs sawyer layers of cold cream whitening her face trotted across the road oh shoot she said very disappointed to find no one had been murdered oh shoot she said nobody stole them roses Your Billy Bob brought them roses over and left them for little Bobbit. Aunt Elle did not say one word. She just marched over to the peach tree and cut herself a switch. Oh, Billy Bob! She stalked along the street, calling his name. And then she found him down at Speedy's garage where he and Preacher were watching Speedy take a motor apart. She simply lifted him by the hair and, switching blue blazes, towed him home. But she couldn't make him say he was sorry, and she couldn't make him cry. And when she was finished with him... Well, he ran into the backyard and climbed high into the tower of a pecan tree and swore he wasn't ever going to come down. And then his daddy came home and it was time to have supper. His daddy stood at the window and called to him, Son, we aren't mad with you, so come down and eat your supper. But Billy Bob wouldn't budge. Aunt Elle went and leaned against the tree. She spoke in a voice soft as the gathering light. I'm sorry, son, she said. I didn't mean whipping you so hard like that. Now I have fixed a nice supper, son, potato salad and boiled ham and deviled eggs. Go away, said Billy Bob. I don't want no supper and I hate you all fire. His daddy said he ought not to talk like that to his mother. And she began to cry. She stood there under the tree and cried, raising the hem of her skirt to dab at her eyes. I don't hate you, son. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't whip you. The pecan leaves began to rattle. Billy Bob slid slowly to the ground and Aunt Elle, rushing her fingers through his hair, pulled him against her. Ma, he said. Ma. After supper, Billy Bob came and flung himself on the foot of my bed. He smelled all sour and sweet, the way boys do, and I felt very sorry for him, especially because, well, he looked so worried. His eyes were almost shut with worry. You're supposed to send sick folks flowers, he said righteously. About this time, we heard the Victrola, a Lilton far away sound, and a night moth flew through the window drifting in the air, delicate uh, as the music. But it was dark now, and we couldn't tell if Miss Bobbitt was dancing. Billy Bob, as though he were in pain, doubled up on the bed like a jackknife. But his face was suddenly clear, his grubby boy eyes twitching like candles. She's so cute he whispered. She's the cutest Dickens I ever saw. Gee, to hell with it. I don't care. I'd pick all the roses in China. Preacher would have picked all the roses in China, too. He was as crazy about her as Billy Bob. But Miss Bobbitt did not notice them the sole communication we had with her was a note to Aunt L, thanking her for the flowers. Day after day she sat on the porch, always dressed to beat the band, and doing a piece of embroidery, or combing curls in her hair, or reading a Webster's Dictionary. Formal, but friendly enough. If you said good day to her, she said good day to you. Even so, the boys never could seem to get up the nerve to go over and talk with her. And most of the time, she simply looked through them, even when they tomcatted up and down the street trying to get her eye. (laughs) They wrestled. They played Tarzan, did fool-headed bicycle tricks. Oh, it was a sorry business. And a great many girls in town strolled by the Sawyer house two or three times within an hour, just on the chance of getting a look. Some of the girls who did this were mm -hmm, Cora McCall, Mary Murphy-Jones, Janice Ackerman. Mm -hmm. Miss Bobbitt did not show any interest in them. Either. Cora would not speak to Billy Bob any more. The same was true with Janice and Preacher. As a matter of fact, Janice wrote Preacher a letter in red ink on lace-trimmed paper in which she told him he was vile beyond all human beings and words, <laughs> that she considered their engagement broken that he could have back the stuffed squirrel he'd given her. Preacher, saying he wanted to act nice, stopped her the next time she passed our house and said, Well, hell, she could keep the old squirrel if she wanted to. And afterwards, he couldn't understand why Janice ran away, bawling the way she did. And then, one day, the boys were being crazier than usual. Billy Bob was sagging around in his daddy's World War khakis, and Preacher, stripped to the waist, had a naked woman drawn on his chest with one of Aunt Elle's old lipsticks. They looked like perfect fools, but Miss Bobbitt, reclining in a swing, merely yawned. It was noon, and there was no one passin' in the street except a colored girl, baby fat and sugar-plum-shaped who hummed along carrying a pail of blackberries. But the boys, teasing at her like nets, joined hands and wouldn't let her go by. Not until she paid a tariff I ain't studying no tariffs, she said. What kind of tariff are you talking about, mister? A party in the barn, said Preacher between clenched teeth. Mighty nice party in the barn. And she, with a sulky shrug, said, "Hm." she intended studying no barn parties. Whereupon Billy Bob capsized her... Mm. he capsized her berry pail, and when she, with despair and shrieks, bent down in futile gestures of rescue, oh, preacher, who can be mean as the devil, gave her behind a kick, which sent her sprawling jelly-like among the blackberries and the dust. Hmm. Miss Bobbit Miss Bobbitt came tearing across the road. o oh, her finger wagging like a metronome, like a schoolteacher. She clapped her hands and stamped her foot and said, it is a well-known fact that gentlemen are put on the face of this earth for the protection of ladies. Do you suppose who? Do you suppose boys behave this way in towns like Memphis, New York, London, Hollywood, or Paris? the Boys hung back and shoved their hands in their pockets. Miss Bobbitt helped the girl to her feet. She dusted her off, dried her eyes, held out a handkerchief, and told her to blow. A pretty pass, she said. A fine situation when a lady can't walk safely in the public daylight. Then the two of them went back and sat on Mrs. Sawyer's porch. And for the next year, they were never far apart. Miss Bobbitt and this baby elephant, whose name was Rosalba Cat, at first, Mrs. Sawyer raised a fuss about Rosalba being so much at her house. She told Aunt L that it went against the grain to have her lolling smack there in plain sight on her front porch. But Miss Bobbitt had a certain magic, whatever she did. She did it with completeness, and so directly, so solemnly, that there was nothing to do but accept it. For instance, the tradespeople in town used to snicker when they called her Miss Bobbitt. But by and by, she was Miss Bobbitt, and they gave her stiff little bows as she whirled by spinning her parasol. Miss Bobbitt told everyone that Rosalba was her sister, which caused a good many jokes, but like most of her ideas, it gradually seemed natural. And when we would overhear them calling each other Sister Rosalba and Sister Bobbitt, none of us cracked a smile. But Sister Rosalba and Sister Bobbitt Did some queer things. There was the business about the dogs. Now, there are a great many dogs in this town. Rat terriers, bird dogs, bloodhounds. They trail along the forlorn, noon-hot streets in sleepy herds of eh, six to a dozen, all waiting, all waiting only for dark and the moon when straight through the lonesome hours, oh, you can hear them howling. Someone is dying. Someone is dead. Miss Bobbitt, she complained to the sheriff. She said that certain of the dogs always planted themselves under her window and that she was a light sleeper to begin with. What is more, and as Sister Rosalba said... She did not believe they were dogs at all, but some kind of devil. Naturally, the sheriff did nothing. And so, she took the matter into her own hands. One morning, after an especially loud night, she was seen stalking through the town with Rosalba at her side, Rosalba carrying a basket filled with rocks, Whenever they saw a dog, they paused while Miss Bobbitt scrutinized him. Sometimes she would shake her head, but more often she said, Yes, that's one of them, Sister Rosalba. And Sister Rosalba, with ferocious aim, would take a rock from her basket and crack that dog between the eyes. Another thing that happened concerns Mr. Henderson. Mr. Henderson has a back room in the Sawyer house, a tough runt of a man who formerly was a wildcat oil prospector in Oklahoma. He is about 70 years old and, well, like a lot of old men, obsessed by functions of the body. Also, he is a terrible drunk. One time, he had been drunk for two weeks, and whenever he heard Miss Bobbitt and Sister Rosalba moving around the house, he would charge to the top of the stairs and bellow down to Mrs. Sawyer that there were midgets in the walls trying to get at his supply of toilet paper. They've already stole 15 cents worth, he said. One evening, when the two girls were sitting under a tree in the yard, Mr. Henderson, sporting nothing more than a nightshirt, stamped out after them. Steal all my toilet paper, will you? He hollered. I'll show you midgets. Somebody, come help me, else these midgets are liable to make off with every sheet in town. It was Billy Bob and Preacher, "'who caught Mr. Henderson and held him "'until some grown men arrived and began to tie him up. "'Miss Bobbitt, who had behaved with admirable calm, "'told the men they did not know how to tie a proper knot "'and uh, undertook to do so herself. "'Well, she did such a good job "'that all the circulation stopped in Mr. Henderson's hands and feet.' and it was a month before he could walk again. Shortly afterwards that Miss Bobbitt paid us a call. She came on a Sunday, and I was there alone, the family having gone to church. The odors of a church are so offensive, she said, leaning forward and with her hands folded primly before her. Now, I don't want you to think I'm a heathen, Mr. C. I've had enough experience to know that there is a god and that there is a devil. But the way to tame the devil is not to go down there to church and listen to what a sinful, mean fool he is. Oh, no. Love the devil like you love Jesus, because he is a powerful man and will do you a good turn if he knows he he can trust you. He has frequently done me good turns, like like at dancing school in Memphis— I always called in the devil to help me get the biggest part in our annual show. That is common sense. You see, I knew Jesus wouldn't have any truck with dancing. Now, as a matter of fact, I have called in the devil just recently. He is the only one who can help me get out of this town. Not that I live here. Not exactly. I think always about somewhere else. Somewhere else where everything is dancing. Like people dancing in the streets. And everything is pretty. Like children on their birthdays. Oh, my precious Papa said, he said, I live in the sky, but if he'd lived more in the sky, he'd be rich like he wanted to be. The trouble with my papa was, he did not love the devil. He let the devil love him, but I am very smart in that respect. I know the next best thing is very often... The best. It was the next best thing for us to move to this town, and since I can't pursue my career here, the next best thing for me is to start a little business on the side, which is what I have done. I am sole subscription agent in this county for an impressive list of magazines, including Reader's Digest, Popular Mechanics, Dime Detective, and A Child's Life. Now, to be sure, Mr. C., I am not here to sell you anything, but I have a thought in mind. I was thinking, Those two boys that are always hanging around here. Well, it occurred to me that they are men, after all. Do you suppose they would make a pair of likely assistants? Billy Bob and Preacher (laughs) worked hard for Miss Bobbitt and for Sister Rosalba, too. Sister Rosalba carried a line of cosmetics called Dewdrop, and it was part of the boy's job to deliver purchases to her customers. Billy Bob used to be so tired in the evening, he could hardly chew his supper. Aunt Elle said it was a shame and a pity, and finally one day when Billy Bob came down with a touch of sunstroke, she said, all right, that settled it. Billy Bob would just have to quit, Miss Bobbitt. But Billy Bob cussed her out until his daddy had to lock him in his room, whereupon he said he was going to kill himself. As some cook we'd had told him once, that if you ate a mess of collards all slopped over with molasses, it would kill you, sure as shooting. And so that is what he did. Oh, I'm dying, he said. "'rolling back and forth on his bed. "'I'm dying and nobody cares.' "'Miss Bobbitt came over and told him to hush up. "'There's nothing wrong with you, boy,' she said. "'All you've got is a stomach ache." "'And then she did something that shocked Aunt Elle very much. "'She stripped the covers off Billy Bob,' and rubbed him down with alcohol from head to toe. When Aunt Elle told her she did not think that was a nice thing for a little girl to do, Miss Bobbitt replied, I don't know whether it's nice or not, but it's certainly very refreshing. After which Aunt Elle did all she could to keep Billy Bob from going back to work for her. But his daddy said, To leave him alone, they would have to just let the boy lead his own life. Now, Miss Bobbitt was very honest with money. She paid Billy Bob and Preacher their exact commission, and she would never let them treat her, as they often tried to do at the drugstore or to the picture show. Oh, you better save your money, she told them. That is, if you want to go to college, because neither one of you has got the brains to win a scholarship, not even a football scholarship. But it was over money that Billy Bob and Preacher had a big falling out. That was not the real reason, of course. The real reason was that they had grown cross-eyed jealous over mm -hmm, Miss Bobbitt. So, one day, oh, when he had the gall to do this right in front of Billy Bob, Preacher said to Miss Bobbitt that she'd better check her accounts carefully because he had more than a suspicion that Billy Bob wasn't turning over to her all the money he collected. That's a damn lie, said Billy Bob, and with a clean left hook, he knocked Preacher off the Sawyer porch and jumped after him into a bed of nasturtiums. But once Preacher got a hold on him... Oh, Billy Bob didn't stand a chance. Preacher even rubbed dirt in his eyes. During all this, Mrs. Sawyer, leaning out an upper story window, screamed like an eagle. And Sister Rosalba, fatly cheerful, ambiguously shouted, Kill him! Kill him! Kill him! Only Miss Bobbitt seemed to know what she was doing. She plugged in the lawn hose (laughs) and gave the boys a close-up blinding bath. Gasping, Preacher staggered to his feet. Oh, honey, he said, shaking himself like a wet dog. Honey, you got to decide. Decide what? Said Miss Bobbitt right away in a huff. Oh, honey, wheezed Preacher. (laughs) You don't want us boys killing each other. You've got to decide who is your real, true sweetheart. Oh, sweetheart my eye, said Miss Bobbitt. I should have known better than to get myself involved with a lot of country children. What sort of business, man, are you going to make? Now, you listen here, Preacher Star. I don't want a sweetheart. And if I did, oh, it wouldn't be you. As a matter of fact... You don't even get up when a lady enters the room. Preacher spit on the ground and swaggered over to Billy Bob.
1: Come on,
0: he said, just as though nothing had happened. She's a hard one, she is. She don't want nothing but to make trouble between two good friends. For a moment, hmm, it looked as if Billy Bob was going to join him in a peaceful togetherness, but well, suddenly coming to his senses, he drew back oof, and made a gesture. The boys regarded each other a full minute. All the closeness between them turning an ugly color. You can't hate. You can't hate so much unless you love too. And Preacher's face showed all this. But there was nothing for him to do except go away. Oh, yes, Preacher. Yes. You looked so lost that day that for the first time, I really liked you. Oh, so skinny and mean and lost going down the road, all by yourself. They did not make it up, Preacher and Billy Bob, and it was not because they didn't want to. It was only that there did not seem to be any straight way for their friendship to happen again. But they couldn't get rid of this friendship. Each was always aware of what the other was up to. And when Preacher found himself a new buddy, oh, Billy Bob, moped around for days, picking things up, dropping them again, or doing sudden wild things like purposely poking his finger in the electric fan. Sometimes in the evenings, Preacher would pause by the gate and talk with Aunt L. It was only to torment Billy Bob, I suppose, but he stayed friendly with all of us. And at Christmas time, why he gave us a huge box of shelled peanuts. He left a present for Billy Bob, too. It turned out to be a book of Sherlock Holmes. And on the flyleaf, there was scribbled, Friends, like ivy on the wall, must fall. That is the corniest thing I ever saw, Billy Bob said. Jesus, what a dope he is. But then, and though it was a cold winter day, he went in the backyard and climbed up into the pecan tree, crouching there all afternoon in the blue December branches. But most of the time, he was happy because, well, Miss Bobbitt, was there, and she was always sweet to him now. She and Sister Rosalba treated him like a man. Well, that is to say, they allowed him to do everything for them. (laughs) On the other hand, they let him win at Three-Handed Bridge. They never questioned his lies, nor discouraged his ambitions. Yeah. It was a happy while. However, trouble started again when school began. Miss Bobbitt refused to go. Oh, it's It's ridiculous, ridiculous, she said, when one day the principal, Mr. Copland, came around to investigate. Really ridiculous. I can read and write And there are some people in this town who have every reason to know that I can count money. No, Mr. Copland. Consider for a moment, and you will see. Neither of us has the time nor energy. After all, it would only be a matter of whose spirit broke first, yours or mine. And besides, what is there for you... To teach me. Now, if you knew anything about dancing, now that would be another matter, but (laughs) under the circumstances, yes, Mr. Copland, under the circumstances, I suggest we forget the whole thing. Mr. Copland was perfectly willing to, but the rest of the town thought she ought to be whipped. Horace Deasley wrote a piece in the paper which was titled, A Tragic Situation. It was his opinion. A tragic situation when a small girl could defy what he, for some reason, termed the Constitution of the United States. The article ended with a question. Can she get away with it? Oh, she did. And so did Sister Rosalba. Only she was colored, so no one cared. Billy Bob was not as lucky. Oh, it was school for him, all right. But he might as well have stayed home for the good it did him. On his first report card, he got three Fs. A record of some sort. But he is a smart boy guess he just couldn't live through those hours without Miss Bobbitt. Away from her, he always seemed half asleep. He was always in a fight, too. Either his eye was black, or his lip was split, or his walk had a limp. He never talked about these fights, but Miss Bobbitt was shrewd enough to guess the reason why. "'Oh, you are a dear,' I know, I know, and I appreciate you, Billy Bob, only don't fight with people because of me. Of course they say mean things about me, but do you know why that is, Billy Bob? It's a compliment, kind of, because deep down they think I'm absolutely wonderful. And she was right. If you are not admired, no one will take the trouble to disapprove. But actually, we had no idea of how wonderful she was until there appeared the man known as Manny Fox. Now, this happened late in February. The first news we had of Manny Fox was a series of jovial placards posted up in the stores around town. Manny Fox presents The Fan Dancer without the fan. And then in smaller print, also Sensational Amateur Program featuring Your Own Neighbors. First prize, a genuine Hollywood screen test. All this was to take place the following Thursday. The tickets were priced at $1 each, which around here is a lot of money. But it is not often that we get any kind of flesh entertainment, so everybody shelled out their money and made a great to-do over the whole thing. The drugstore cowboys talked dirty all week, mostly about the fan dancer without the fan who turned out to be Mrs. Manny Fox. They stayed down the highway at the Chucklewood tourist camp. But they were in town all day, driving around in an old packard which had Manny Fox's full name stenciled on all four doors. His wife was a dead pan Pimento-tongued redhead with wet lips and moist eyelids. She was quite large, actually, but compared to Manny Fox, she seemed rather frail, for he was a fat cigar of a man. They made the pool hall their headquarters, and every afternoon you could find them there drinking beer and joking with the town loafs. As it developed, Manny Fox's business affairs were not restricted to theatrics. He also ran a kind of employment bureau. Slowly he let it be known that for a fee of $150, he could get, for any adventurous boys in the county, high-class jobs, working on fruit ships, "'sailing from New Orleans to South America. "'The chance of a lifetime,' he called it. "'There are not two boys around here "'who readily lay their hands on so much as five dollars. "'Nevertheless, a good dozen managed to raise the money. "'Ada Willingham took all she'd saved "'to buy an angel tombstone for her husband.' And gave it to her son. And A.C. Trump's papa sold an option on his cotton crop. But the night of the show, whew, that was a night when all was forgotten. Mortgages and the dishes in the kitchen sink. Aunt Elle said, You'd think we were going to the opera. Everybody so dressed up, so pink and sweet-smellin' the Odeon had not been so full since the night they gave away the matched set of sterling silver. Practically everybody had a relative in the show, so there was a lot of nervousness to contend with. Miss Bobbitt was the only contestant we knew real well, Billy Bob. "'Couldn't sit still. "'He kept telling us over and over "'that we mustn't applaud for anybody but Miss Bobbitt. "'Aunt Elle said, that would be very rude, "'which sent Billy Bob off into a state again. "'And when his father bought us all bags of popcorn, "'oh, he wouldn't touch his "'because it would make his hands greasy, "'and please, another thing, "'we mustn't be noisy and eat ours while Miss Bobbitt.' Was performing. That she was to be a contestant had come as a last minute surprise. Oh, it was logical enough, and there were signs that should have told us. The fact, for instance, that she had not set foot outside the Sawyer house in how many days? And the victrola going half the night, her shadow whirling on the window shade and the secret stuffed look on Sister Rosalba's face whenever asked after Sister Bobbit's health. So, there was her name on the program, listed second, in fact, though she did not appear for a long while. First came Nanny Fox, greased and leering, who told a lot of peculiar jokes Clapping his hands, ha, 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 Aunt Elle said, if he told another joke like that, she was going to walk straight out. Well, he did, and she didn't. Before Miss Bobbitt came on, there were 11 contestants, including Eustacia Bernstein, who imitated movie stars so that They all sounded like Eustacia, and there was an extraordinary Mr. Buster Riley, a jug-eared old wool hat from way in the back country who played waltz and Matilda on a saw. Up to that point, he was the hit of the show. Not that there was any marked difference in the various receptions, for everybody applauded generously. Everybody, that is, except Preacher Star. He was sitting two rows ahead of us, greeting each act with a donkey-loud, Boo! Aunt Elle said she was never going to speak to him again. The only person he ever applauded was Miss Bobbitt. No doubt, the devil was on her side. But she deserved it. Out she came, tossing her hips, her curls, rolling her eyes. Oh, you could tell right away. Hmm. It wasn't going to be one of her classical numbers. She tapped across the stage, daintily holding up the sides of a cloud-blue skirt. Oh, that's the cutest thing I ever saw, said Billy Bob, smacking his thigh. And Aunt Elle had to agree that Miss Bobbitt looked real sweet. When she started to twirl, the whole audience broke into spontaneous applause. So, she did it all over again, hissing, faster, faster, at poor Miss Adelaide, who was at the piano, doing her Sunday school best. I was born in China, and Raised in Japan. we had never heard her sing before. And she had a rowdy sandpaper voice. If you don't like my peaches, stay away from my can. Oh, 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 oh. Aunt Elle gasped. And she gasped again when Miss Bobbitt, with a bump, upended her skirt. To display blue lace underwear, thereby collecting most of the whistles the boys had been saving for the fan dancer without the fan. Which was just as well as it later turned out uh, for that lady. To the tune of an apple for the teacher, oh yeah, and cries of jip, jip. She did her routine attired in a bathing suit. But showing off her bottom was not Miss Bobbitt's final triumph. Miss Adelaide commenced an ominous thundering in the darker keys, at which point Sister Rosalba, carrying a lighted Roman candle, rushed on stage and handed it to Miss Bobbitt, who was in the midst of a full split. She made it, too. And just as she did, the Roman candle burst into fiery balls of red, white, and blue. Oh, and we all had to stand up because, well, she was singing the Star-Spangled Banner at the top of her lungs. (laughs) Aunt Elle said afterwards that it was one of the most gorgeous things she'd ever seen on the American stage. Well, she surely did deserve a Hollywood screen test, And inasmuch as she won the contest, it looked as though she were going to get it. Manny Fox said she was. Honey, he said, you're real star stuff. Only, he skipped town the next day, leaving nothing but hearty promises. Watch the mails, my friends. You'll all be hearing from me. That is what he said to the boys whose money he'd taken. And that is what he said to Miss Bobbitt. There are three deliveries daily, and this sizable group gathered at the post office for all of them. A jolly crowd, growing gradually joyless. How their hands trembled when a letter slid into their mailbox. A terrible hush came over them as the days passed. They all knew what the other was thinking, but no one could bring himself to say it, not even Miss Bobbitt. post Patterson said it plainly, however. "'The man's a crook,' she said. "'I knew he was a crook to begin with.' And if I have to look at your faces one more day, I'll shoot myself. Finally, at the end of two weeks, it was Miss Bobbitt who broke the spell. Her eyes had grown more vacant than anyone had ever supposed they might. But one day, after the last mail was up, all her old sizzle came back. Okay, boys, it's lynch law now, she said, and proceeded to herd the whole troop home with her. This was the first meeting of the Manny Fox Hangman's Club, an organization which, in a more social form, endures to this day. Though Manny Fox has long since been caught and, so to say, hung. Now, credit for this went quite properly to Miss Bobbitt. Within a week, she'd written over 300 descriptions of Manny Fox and dispatched them to sheriffs throughout the South. She also wrote letters to papers in the larger cities, and these attracted wide attention. As a result, four of the robbed boys were offered good-paying jobs, by the United Fruit Company. And late this spring, when Manny Fox was arrested in Up High, Arkansas, where he was pulling the same old dodge, Miss Bobbitt was presented with a Good Deed Merit Award from the Sunbeam Girls of America. For some reason, she made a point of letting the world know that This did not exactly thrill her. "'I do not approve of the organization,' she said. "'All that rowdy bugle-blowing. "'It's neither good-hearted nor truly feminine. "'And anyway, what is a good deed? "'Don't let anybody fool you. "'A good deed is something you do "'because you want something in return.' it would be reassuring to report she was wrong and that her just reward, when it at last came, was given out of kindness and love. Uh, However, this is not the case. About a week ago, the boys involved in the swindle all received from Manny Fox checks covering their losses. And Miss Bobbitt, with clawed-hopping determination, stalked into a meeting of the hangman's club, which is now an excuse for drinking beer and playing poker every Thursday night. Look, boys, she said, laying it on the line, none of you ever thought to see that money again. But now that you have, you ought to invest it in something practical, like me." The proposition was that they should pool their money and finance her trip to Hollywood. In return, they would get 10% of her life's earnings, which, after she was a star, and that would not be very long, would make them all rich men. At least, as she said, in this part of the country... Not one of the boys wanted to do it. But when Miss Bobbitt looked at you, what was there to say? Since Monday, it has been raining, buoyant summer rain, shot through with sun, but dark at night and full of sound, full of dripping leaves, watery chiming's, Sleepless scuttlings. Billy Bob is wide awake, dry-eyed, though everything he does is a little frozen, and his tongue is as stiff as a bell tongue. It has not been easy for him, Miss Bobbit's going, because she meant more than that. Oh, then what? Than being thirteen years old and crazy in love, she—she she was the queer things in him, like the pecan tree, and liking books and caring enough about people to let them hurt him. She was the things he was afraid to show anyone else. And in the dark, the music trickled through the rain. Oh, won't there be nights when we will hear it just as though it were really there? And afternoons, when the shadows will be all at once confused. And she will pass before us, unfurling across the lawn like a pretty piece of ribbon? Oh, she laughed at Billy Bob. She held his hand. She even kissed him. I'm not going to die, she said. You'll come out there, and we'll climb a mountain, and we'll all live together there, you and me and Sister Rosalba. But Billy Bob knew it would never happen that way. And so, when the music came through the dark, he would stuff the pillow over his head. Only there was a strange smile about yesterday and that was the day she was leaving. Around noon, the sun came out bringing with it into the air all the sweetness of wisteria. Aunt Ell's yellow lady Anne's were blooming again and well, she did a wonderful thing. She told Billy Bob he could pick them and give them to Miss Bobbitt for goodbye. All afternoon, Miss Bobbitt sat on the porch, surrounded by people who stopped by to wish her well. She looked as though she were going to communion, dressed in white and with a white parasol. Sister Rosalba had given her a handkerchief, but Well, she had to borrow it back because she couldn't stop blubbering. Another little girl brought a baked chicken, presumably to be eaten on the bus. The only trouble was she'd forgotten to take out the insides before cooking it. Miss Bobbitt's mother said, That was all right by her. Chicken was chicken. Which is memorable because it... Is the single opinion she ever voiced. There was only one sour note. For hours, Preacher Star had been hanging around down at the corner, sometimes standing at the curb, tossing a coin, and sometimes hiding behind a tree as if he didn't want anyone to see him. It made everybody nervous. About twenty minutes before bus time, he sauntered up and leaned against our gate. Billy Bob was still in the garden, picking roses. By now, he had enough for a bonfire, and their smell was as heavy as the wind. Preacher stared at him until he lifted his head. As they looked at each other, the rain began again, fallen fine as sea spray and colored by a rainbow. Without a word, Preacher just went over and started helping Billy Bob separate the roses into two giant bouquets. Together, they carried them to the curb. Across the street, oh, there were bumblebees of talk. (laughs) But when Miss Bobbitt saw them, two boys whose flower-masked faces were like yellow moon's, Oh, she rushed down the steps, her arms outstretched. You could see what was going to happen. And we called out, our voices like lightning in the rain. But Miss Bobbitt, running toward those moons of roses, did not seem to hear. That is when the six o'clock bus ran over her.